Hi, I'm Yusuf Hassan, and you're listening to Africa Aware, a podcast from the Chatham House Africa program. Welcome back to Africa Aware. As you will have seen from the title, this is a very special episode. As part of the Africa program's 20th anniversary, we hope to spotlight some of the seminal leaders that we have engaged with over the existence of the program. And to begin this series of episodes, we were honoured to host His Excellency Joaquim Chisano, the former president of the Republic of Mozambique and the winner of the Chatham House Prize. Over the course of the interview, we discussed the impact of the Rome General Peace Accords, which ended the Mozambican Civil War, of which he was a signatory, in its 30th anniversary year and what lessons the world can learn from it. We discussed his work as a special envoy supporting conflict mediation, DDR and conflict mediation in Mozambique, and Mozambique's role on a global stage as the country is due to sit on the UN Security Council for the first time next year. It was a fascinating discussion where he provided us with incredible insights into a plethora of current day issues with his perspective as a former head of state. And we really hope you enjoy listening. President Joaquim Chisano was a founding member of the Mozambique Liberation Front, Frilimo, and subsequently played a fundamental role in the 1974 negotiation for Mozambican independence between Frilimo and the Portuguese government. Prior to his presidency, His Excellency held the roles of Prime Minister and Minister of Foreign Affairs before becoming president in 1986. President Chisano also held the roles of chairperson of the South African Development Community, SADC, and African Union whilst he was in his term. Following his presidency, His Excellency was appointed as a special envoy to several conflict-affected countries on behalf of the UN Secretary-General and the African Union. I am honoured to host His Excellency Joaquim Chisano, former president of Mozambique on Africa Aware today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Your Excellency, you are often quoted as saying that the peace we brought to Mozambique was not easy. And for many, you know, there's an assumption that's a simplistic statement. But actually, you know, when we examine the depth, there are various themes that come out of that, especially in, in, in my research for this podcast. And 30 years on from the Rome General Peace Accord, when reflecting back on that historical achievement, what lessons do you think the world can learn from that process? Well. Thank you for inviting me to reflect about this past 30 years. The One of the lessons which uh, I learned myself is that uh, patience pays. You know that the conflict in Mozambique was a, a complex one. We started by the minority regimes in the region who didn't want us including the Portuguese renegades who didn't want independence from Mozambique. And um, from uh, independence up to 1980, we were living within these premises of uh, the minority regimes fighting us. In 1980, there was independence of Zimbabwe, the full independence of Zimbabwe, and things started changing. And... uh, we could now think about the Mozambicans who were involved in this conflict, not just think about the uh, foreigners who did not like us. And so that's when we start trying to find a solution through a dialogue. I may 
say a direct dialogue with the Mozambicans who were involved in this conflict. It uh, took quite a long time to get the confidence. So the process of confidence building was very, very, very difficult. But uh, one had to have the patient and, and try to get to the confidence building, which would enable a certain degree of dialogue. So this is the first lesson is that uh, we have to build confidence between the parties in conflict and not expect that this would happen of a sudden. So we had to envisage the issues to be discussed beforehand and to create conditions on how to deliver. And this is what we did in changing the, the constitution, which would be used as a, a, a guarantor to the other side. And we had to take time, but to, the change should not occur also as a surprise for the people. So we have to prepare the people for the dialogue. It's not a dialogue between the, the government and the insurgents. Uh, the people must uh, be part of it. So this is another work which we had to do uh, before engaging uh, the adversary. And so the constitution came out with the amendments, the very deep amendments. And uh, now many issues were not uh, tackled as changes because they had to be discussed with the other, other side in peace. So they would be taken up after peace came, after the family could meet inside the country, in the capital, in freedom and uh, peace. So the revision of the constitution continued after because there are many clauses were referring to the law, a law which would be approved by the a new assembly after the multi-party elections you know, where all the forces would be present in parliament. So it's, it's a process. Of course, one has to visualize that process beforehand not to think that you go and sit uh, down and sign the agreement of peace and then it's over. No. There are uh, problems with the demobilization and the reintegration. When you reintegrate the people uh, who come from uh, 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 the position who, who stayed long time away from their communities, they may feel that they are special and they deserve to be to be compensated in something as if they had made in any favor. The example is that after they had received what they had to receive, which was equal to what the armed forces of the government would receive, they would come again and say, now we have finished the money you gave us, and so you give us again. Uh, so it's uh, difficult. And it would happen also with the, with some of the, the government forces, but more on the other side. Now, the, this, the other issue is the, that of reconciliation. Reconciliation, which has to be uh, seen as a reconciliation among people, not just reconciliation among parties. 
the government and the other party. No, it's a, it's about the people because who suffered on the terrain were the people. Sometimes find the uh, relatives were in the different sides, maimed people in one family which were, were maimed by the, their relatives who were on the other side. So the reconciliation should be there. We have many, many stories about this, this issue, which shows the reconciliation must be among people so that they can sit together, eat together, work together, and even exchange opinions which may concur to, to the policies of the country. So there are many, many things which we can, we can learn. Of course, uh, peace has to be sustained by economic and social development. Thank you so much, Your Excellency, for that robust answer. I'm sure there's many lessons to learn from that in particular. Now, there was a return in 2013 to targeted conflict, and then a second agreement, of course, in 2019. How do you believe that built on the Rome process? And what do you think about the possibility of providing state pensions to Renamo ex-combatants as the final stage of the DDR process? I think it's, it's a, I told you that one of the questions was difficult. This is a difficult question because uh, when one gives pension to people who went out to uh, as rebels and then uh, you have the a process of peace, and then you give pensions. You may be uh, providing room for new rebels to uh, appear so that they get pensions <laughs> all the time. But uh, it's necessary to give uh, the minimum necessary or for people to, to reintegrate in the social life, to be equal to the others. There are people who were not fighting in any one of the sides and who are poor and who don't get uh, any help. Uh, so if they see people who went to, to war and, and they, they have got help, it's a, a, it may be a good sign in the society. So that's why I'm saying it's difficult. But at one point, you, at one point you can, the governments have, have to think on the, the appropriate way of doing that to ease the situation of, of the people who are in conflict so that they integrate the civil society and the, the communities and to be equal to the ordinary uh, citizen who also have got difficulties to face. And to pick up following your presidency, of course, uh, your presidency ended and you didn't choose to retire <laughs> and uh, remain, you know, in really in, in enjoyment following such an incredible term where you were able to support Mozambique's development on such a significant level, you chose immediately after to become a peace envoy, to become someone that helped build peace across the continent and, and supporting the multilateral institutions in doing so. What do you believe are the core tenets to any effective peace process? And are there any moments in particular that you, that you reflect on having held these significant roles in building peace? Yeah, actually, I didn't choose to to be a peace building. When I left, I thought that I was going to, to live among the communities to, to, to learn how to live in that way. Because, you know, I grew up in, in the struggle for independence and then I became a leader. So I, 
my aspiration was to to try and uh, live as an ordinary man uh, as as long as that would be possible. But immediately after I left office, it's the outside world who thought that uh, uh, I could be an instrument. And uh, actually, it was the Secretary General of the United Nations, Kofi Annan, who immediately grabbed me and gave me the first assignment in uh, Guinea-Bissau. And uh, later on, he involved me even in the issues of uh, the, the sustainable development goals. As they were going to change, I had to go and sensitize the heads of state in Africa well, it's part of peace, but uh, that was not quite that. And immediately after that, he gave me the assignment to go to the Congo to help create a peaceful environment or an environment conducive to peaceful elections. I did this uh, heading a, a group of three with other two leaders from Africa at different levels. We cooperated with the United Nations and we were successful. The elections indeed were peaceful. Only after the elections, the violence erupted again. And then uh, I proceeded to be appointed now with the, by the new Secretary General Ban Ki-moon to go and help the mediation team in, in uh, Juba about the Ugandan conflict with, with Joseph Kony. And, and the government. So I went to that. Then Sadek sent me to Madagascar. It was all the, the, the places where I passed through were different. The challenges were different. In Madagascar, there was no war, but uh, the society there is complex and uh, the way of thinking was different. They are a country which is isolated in the Indian Ocean, and so they have a way of thinking that we had to understand. So there, I worked on behalf of SADC, but also of the, of the African Union and the United Nations. The whole international community was involved. We were also successful after many years until they had their successful elections in 2013. That in all these missions, I took up the line of involving everybody, talking to everybody, all political parties, all civil society uh, organizations, women, uh, youth, even the press, involving them to be part of the search for the solution so that we understand very well where the problems lie. We did this in Guinea-Bissau. We did this in, in Congo. In the Congo, in fact, there were 33 groups, and we had to talk with them all, the political parties, and 33, and then all the others. So it is a, a good experience. I remember... Also, that uh, in uh, the case of Uganda uh, conflict, I had to dare and go to the bush and meet the leader of that guerrilla terrorist war, Joseph Kony. 
uh, he was afraid of being taken to the Hague, to the criminal court. So he had a deal that he would accept to go to Uganda and be tried in Uganda by the Ugandan courts. But uh, after reaching a, a good agreement, even drafting it, when we were about to call the president of Uganda and Kony to come to Juba to sign the agreement, someone scared Kony that would be cheated and so. So he desisted in the middle of that. And so he continued the atrocities and which now prompted the day for us to appeal for the army of Congo to accept the army of Uganda to enter because the military solution was necessary. Maybe it would have not succeeded to deliver everything, but it was at that point in time was necessary while we would be looking for the continuation of a dialogue. But uh, the fact is that uh, the Connie disappeared. We don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know where he is. Maybe someone else knows. But I don't know where he is, where he died or he's alive. So that's how the, 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 this issue stopped. It was a, a painful process. Again, it's, a, it's one cannot expect to have a quick solutions. Thank you so much. And, and to come to somewhat of an end, Mozambique is due to sit on the UN Security Council for the first time in 2023. How do you believe you know, lessons from Mozambique, drawing on expertise in peace building, will be useful to the United Nations as Mozambique takes on this important position? Yeah, indeed, I think they will be useful because we had, we had different uh, stages of negotiating with different interlocutors. First, we negotiated with the Portuguese for our independence. We had the first stage before we started the armed struggle. And then when the armed struggle was successful and in Portugal there were political changes due to our struggle combined with the struggle of Angola and Guinea-Bissau, there were changes which prompted, uh, which created the conditions for uh, dialogue uh, with the Portuguese. So I remember that uh, the NATO countries were su supporting Portugal, particularly because of the role of Portugal when they offered this base in the Azores Islands. So it was difficult for NATO countries to be in favor of the liberation struggle and support clearly. But uh, we did a work which convinced a lot of people in those countries to support us. For instance, yeah, in Great Britain, we had a, a strong group of support which was against the policy of the government. And so they supported us while the government was supporting. And that movement grew big. Actually, it was not the only one. There were the anti-apartheid movements here also. Now, some countries of the, of NATO, by their own, after contacts with us, they started started supporting us. I'm speaking about Norway, Holland, 
and uh, Denmark that required some some work. So there's a, a, an experience there. If our uh, government can uh, uh, recall this, can this can be also used. But after this, we we as members of the frontline states, we had indirect contacts, indirect contacts with the with the minority regimes, including Rhodesia and uh, South Africa of apartheid. Sometimes it was uh, through some leaders like President Kaunda that we would have passwords uh, to them. They would pass in words on behalf of the of the frontline states, of course, and on behalf of uh, Mozambique. And this went on and on until we got to independence. So we had this big problem of uh, supporting the countries which were not independent yet in the region, uh, starting by Rhodesia, uh, South Africa, and Namibia. But the focus went to Rhodesia. You see, this was the closest cause which brought us into the Commonwealth. The discussion about the uh, independence of Rhodesia and the role played by the Commonwealth countries. And we were out. Mozambique was out of the Commonwealth. So they came to the conclusion that it was necessary to include Mozambique in the Commonwealth, not only because all the other neighbors of Mozambique were members of Commonwealth, but because there was this cause to be defended, which uh, needed to consider the railways and the ports of Mozambique. And so there was a dialogue which uh, led to the Lancaster House agreements between the minority regime and and the liberation movements in, in, in Zimbabwe. And Mozambique played a very important role there. I hope uh, that soon might, we might see the normalization of relations between Great Britain and and, and and Zimbabwe again because uh, Great Britain played a a, big, a good role and we uh, acted as some advisors to the British government in that time. That's why we had Lord Soames being appointed as governor in Rhodesia. These are experiences and this led to our dialogue with the with the, the apartheid regime itself, which resulted into the signing of the agreement of Nkomati, the Nkomati Accord, in order to establish good neighborness. And uh, after that, conditions were created to start a direct dialogue with the, uh, the rebels, let's just call them that, like that, I mean, Renamo. And we had a dialogue which did not come to an end, Conditions were not there because uh, some forces were not ready to to stop war and uh, and come to to the integration and start the process of reconciliation. So we had to to continue, and uh, probably apartheid themselves they were not yet uh, ready. So lastly, we we had this uh, dialogue. With the with the Renamo direct dialogue, which culminated with the Rome Agreement. So, in all those passages, 
we have had contacts with many people, many countries, and uh, there were experiences which we can uh, adapt to the cases which will come to the Security Council. Let's take uh, the case of Ukraine. Uh, it seems that uh, it's a, a difficult one, but uh, the small experiences of Mozambique may sometimes help. During the discussion at the Security Council, they may find out where our experience can be used. It's difficult. As I told you, in all the mediations which I participated in, there were environments were different. So it's a, a question of trying to adapt one vision which we had before in one of the passages of our own a dialogue or a search of solutions to adapt to that. And so I think that the Mozambique will be able to, to do so in the Security Council. The big principle is to be a firm in the need of peace in the world. Without peace, there's no development. And you may have a, a, a big development in one period and then be destroyed by a war, which can become a world war. Although I don't believe that anyone wants world war, but it may happen unexpectedly. So I'm, I believe that uh, Mozambique will be useful in the Security Council. And that brings us to an end. One thing I must say is even though, as you mentioned, you didn't choose to take on the roles that you did following your presidency, Africa would be a poorer place without you doing and taking that responsibility and taking your leadership and your, your experience to ensure that peace and security was implemented and that governments fulfilled their social contracts to their citizens. So that's just something that I must say, and I'm sure all of my listeners are in complete agreement as well. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Your Excellency. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And that brings us to an end of this episode of Africa Aware. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Please do subscribe to us on the platform that you're listening to us on, as that will ensure that you don't miss an episode. And do leave a review to help others find this podcast easier. Thank you for listening to Africa Where I've been your host, Yusuf Hassan. Goodbye.